You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 315. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son. I usually Ooh. ask how you feel, but I know how you feel. We all feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a war going on and Seems uh, like we are recording in a different world than we did last week. Right. It did. Yeah. Uh, although we did talk about it a bit and we thought yeah. this isn't looking good and boy didn't it turn out good. Yeah, we had no freaking idea. Hmm. Yeah. That that it, this was this was going to happen. Exactly. Mm. We're still pretty much joking, and it just yeah. shows us how quickly things can happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we took it seriously. When we that, did. Like, no, I mean, don't mean we joked a... about the war. We joked about other things. I mean. Yeah. 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 So this is why we decided to dedicate this complete episode to the situation in Ukraine, and by the situation we mo- we mean war. Yeah. One thing we have to establish here. Nothing, nothing justifies what happened in Ukraine. No. So we will talk about different aspects of this whole thing and how the disinformation uh, campaigns were run and what kind of misinformation and disinformation appeared in this situation. But nothing, nothing at all can justify the invasion of another country, a sovereign country. Exactly. So that is just yeah. completely unacceptable. Right. And I have to say that one thing absolutely moves me, and that is the support that Ukraine and the Ukrainian people are getting now. And it could not be more apparent and more visible than what I saw today at the Expo Dubai, where I'm current, I, I am currently in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. And um, here we ha- we still have the expo going on, and today we visited it. And obviously, I couldn't I couldn't not go <laughs> to the Ukrainian pavilion. And these guys were absolutely amazing. The originally planned exhibition was interesting, was nice, was optimistic, but it was not why people went and visited the pavilion. Mm. And uh, I have to say that, uh, yeah. Me included. And when I stepped in, I saw a video, a very short one, about Zelensky, the president. And I'm pretty sure that it was changed from the original greeting that he recorded. It was very short. He said that we don't have time currently to go into detail and discuss what our plans for the future are. But I'm standing in front of a map with the internationally recognized borders of the country and I can tell you that this will stay the same. Mm. And that was that was it. It was so intelligent, so clear and not provocative. Mm. It just stating a fact very strongly that I immediately caught me. And then I moved on and I saw a wall with stickers on it, all kinds of different colored stickers, and I started reading reading them and they were all messages of support from all over the world. And then I moved on and I saw that it was not only one wall, but all the walls around. Wow. They were 
all full of these messages. And then I saw in one of the corners that people were recording video messages. Now that's when I completely lost it. So I stepped in front of the camera, I said my message, and I I couldn't stop crying. Mm. I I finished I finished the sentence and I I, I went into a corner to cry. And I saw the the ladies who were there as as hostesses doing the same thing after every message that was recorded. Wow! And turns out that these these guys are mostly expats living in Dubai. Yeah. But some of them were planning to go home after the expo, and <laughs> where to, the to question what? is where yeah, to what? where and to what to which could, country could they yeah. go, yeah. go yeah. home. Yeah, Andras, you you are currently in Dubai, of course, but you are the yeah. one of us three that are closest to Ukraine yeah. geographically. Normally, uh, Hungary has a yeah. border to Ukraine. Have you been in contact with your friends and relatives in in Hungary in Budapest? How do people feel, or in Shekesvehervar or wherever you, yeah. they are? People people have very mixed feelings. Mm. Uh, some of the politicians especially the opposition politicians they are trying to send out the message that what we need now is a strong stance standing with all the European countries in condemning what uh, Putin has done and uh, supporting the sanctions and all that but on the other hand everyone has a good amount of fear in them Mm. and that is part of Orban's rhetoric as well that he is hesitant to strongly go against his his former master <laughs> i should say unfortunately he he had built very close ties with uh, with uh, putin's russia and and putin's oligarchs as well who are being well, brought down as we speak and i, I could couldn't agree more with what's going on but i have to say that that a lot of people fear and the state media which is owned by and controlled by orban they are spreading the misinformation that this is largely ukraine's fault and it shouldn't be provoked uh, this this whole thing yeah so as a result of that we see a lot of people actually taking the the, the russian side putin's side in this really yes yeah so so it's 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 really difficult to assess what the situation is like. I have several friends who went to the Hungarian Ukrainian border because we have I think three points of entry from mm-hmm. from Russia uh, from Ukraine to Hungary and they went to with with some charity organizations people are are rushing to help and that is very emotionally supporting and 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 they give a lot of support even my hometown which is very far from the border decided to take uh, refugees Mm. so we are talking about tens of thousands of people already Mm. who have crossed the, the borders i have to say as well that that it's there are a lot of hungarian people from the Karpatim area that live or, or used to live in Ukraine, but there are Ukrainian people as well coming. Mm. And I have friends who have friends in Kiev, and I, I heard about a family who decided with one-year-old twins to stay, and the grandmother 
would have taken the twins out of the city, but then they they couldn't couldn't get out of the city. So, and we are talking about two doctors. Mm. Yeah. So terrible. The situation is terrible, and but but I see a lot of support coming from people, as well as a lot of fear. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's amazing how the world is standing behind Ukraine. It's we have China, <laughs> but uh, yeah. we have uh, and India, I believe, as well are not yeah. fully on but board. But it and, seems pretty much like Russia against the world right is, now. Yeah, and they brought it on themselves. So they probably they will. Use it in propaganda saying the whole world is against us. Well, yeah, because the way you behave. Yeah. And I also like want to say, if we say Russia, we of course don't mean, yeah. don't mean the people <laughs> of Russia. We mean the Russian regime. Of course. And on the other hand, though, apparently there is a lot of support for what Putin is doing, even in Russia. We, we have seen... Uh, 2,000 people being arrested in several countries, uh, several cities across Russia for speaking out uh, against the, this war. But the government-controlled state media is so efficient in spreading the misinformation that people... I just saw an interview with a statistician who said, yes, there is about, I don't remember the exact number, but it was below 10%, the number of people who are against this Mm -hmm. uh, escalation of the situation and i don't blame them for it no. so i want to emphasize that and i'm and i'm not saying that this is a war that the russian nation rages as as Anika you said but unfortunately it must be that his disinformation campaign has been so efficient and so successful right. that um, he has he has the nation's support most of the nation's support more about that later i would say Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. yes, and but uh, he's he scares the hell out of a, lo a couple of countries. So mm -hmm. he scares yeah, the hell out of his state. own cabinet. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You've yeah. seen the seen the films, uh, the video. Yeah, he's, they are. I gotta say, I was was super anxious a few days ago when he threatened yeah, nuclear remember. retaliation, or did he? <laughs> you know, um, mm. yeah. It's uh, Snopes actually looked at that, and Snopes rates that as a mixture too. So they mm -hmm. they say neither yes or no. He said consequences never seen in history would befall on people that keep him from doing the invasion, and this can be interpreted as a nuclear threat, but also not. You know, it's very hard to to think about it. He put the nuclear forces on high alert in, in Russia. But what is important to know is that Russia has four DEFCON states. And he put them from one to two. Two is high alert, but four would be throwing the bombs. And Putin has said before that there is no point in the world if it's without Russia. So we can think that he would be aggressive and sociopathic enough hmm. for that. But what a lot of experts are saying is that it's more likely that this statement was a distraction or more like a to build a pressure, but to not really throw it. But we don't know. And of course, we don't want a world without Russia either, but a world without nukes and war and invading other countries would be pretty nice. Yeah, <laughs> I say so. Yeah. So, yeah, it really depends on the, on the next weeks. And they all say it, it is quite likely, but another article I read that they, they said, we always said, oh no, that's actually unlikely. Putin would never do that, and he did. So, 
yeah, it's something we can't rule out completely, but it's unlikely. Yeah, but I really hope that this unification of the of the whole world basically yes. against him will help him realize that it's an it's a no win situation for him uh, and his country. Yeah, but the problem is with some people that's actually making it worse. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's when you when you corner a um, dangerous animal, exactly, it will most likely bite you or yeah. attack you instead of uh, just moving away. But yeah. we also don't want to fear monger, so I will just leave it at. We don't know, <laughs> but it's unlikely. Yeah, but I agree with those who say that, on the other hand, you have to be very tough with a dictator. Because we've seen in history, and we discussed it last week, you remember, yeah. that when dictators are free to do whatever they want, because the threats that they make actually work on people, and they decide to keep the peace at all costs. Mm. And this is what Zelensky says, for example, in one of the, the articles, uh, there was a link to the video that I watched. It will be on the show notes. Yes, it's not peace at all costs. Exactly. If we are attacked, we're not gonna let it go. Because it's our country, it's our freedom, it's worth fighting for. Yeah. Yeah, it's also like, that's. I think in a way it's something like what police would do with in a hostage situation. It's like, mm -hmm. yes, you want to keep all the hostages alive and well, but not at all costs. Like you, you can provide them some things, but you can't give them everything what they want. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's the same here. Like you can't do anything, everything for a criminal slash dictator for them to do their will for however they please. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a bully in, in, at school, right? <laughs> yeah, to you, just like you have to, to go one level them. down even more, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty happy yeah, yeah. I didn't go to the same class as Putin. You couldn't have. You were you, you're much younger than him, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and less Russian. Yeah, Putin is not super young, isn't he? I don't know no, how old is he. He was born in '52. He won, he's 70 years old this year. All right. Well. Yeah, I'm not saying he's super old, but he's not the young guy he used to be. Yeah, there is only one more thing that I wanted to say before we go into the new segment, which will also be completely dedicated to this situation, this war against Ukraine. I'm afraid that the Baltic states are in danger, mm -hmm. especially if the scenario that we all fear when, as a cornered animal, he starts attacking all, all over the place, that could lead to the Baltic states being attacked which has been on the table for a while for Putin, I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. at least based on his rhetorics. And you have to factor in that both Estonia and Latvia have about a 25% ethnic Russian population in their respective countries. And there is Lithuania with uh, Kaliningrad Oblast right next to its borders, so it's not easy to avoid any confrontation. And this is the very reason why the NATO countries are now boosting up their presence in the area, including mm. Germany, by the way. Yeah. So Germany finally decided to send troops and send tanks and all that to the area. I really like that support. Yeah. And maybe for people who are not uh, up to date on, on the geography, Kaliningrad is an exclave, so it's sort of outside. It doesn't have a contact with main Russia. It's on the other side yeah. of Lithuania, I believe. So uh, if he says yeah. he wants to reincorporate Kaliningrad with rest of Russia, he has to go through some countries. And uh, 
I think now, hopefully, being a little bit optimistic, this adventure that he's launched into didn't go as well as he thought it would. So maybe he will be a little bit more hesitant. But if the world had stood by and just let him take Ukraine, I'm sure the Baltic states would be next. And then maybe Moldova, Georgia, and those countries close to Russia, very vulnerable with the borders against Russia. Yeah. And Poland has a lot to fear as well. Exactly. Because if Putin wins over the Ukraine, like where would he stop? That's the question. And we don't really have an answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now we see the world really joining forces and that is very uplifting to see i'm just hoping that that will lead to the situation getting better soon for the ukrainians because a long-lasting war on their land would mean such a great amount of destruction that they would fall even further from their goal of joining both the eu and and nato mm-hmm. all right so um with all that i think we should start talking about what's new. And it's not necessarily just news, but thoughts, discussions of certain actualities. Yeah, and uh, there are a couple of things that need to be addressed. And one of the reasons why we wanted to make this episode a little bit different from the others is that we would like to raise the issues that have been raised by so many different media outlets and fact-checkers and all that, but we would like to bring all that together to try to draw as complete a picture as possible. And one of those uh, fact-checks that have been made was done by Deutsche Welle. The question that they addressed was whether Vladimir Putin's justifications for going to war against Ukraine add up at all. Do they hold water? So what are those justifications that he tries to make? First of all, and this is what everyone is talking about, he claims that by this action, Ukraine will be denazified. What the fuck does that mean? Does that mean that Ukraine is full of Nazis and there's a massive amount of genocide going on? Well, no. (laughs) That's... The the problem is that, first of all, genocide is by now a very well-defined term and conception. So in order for that to happen, there should be systematic attacking of people because of their nationality, their ethnicity, any other aspect, and great numbers of systematic killings of those people. This is not happening, and this has not been happening in any of the areas that Putin claims to belong to Russia. But on the other hand, he claims that the whole of Ukraine belongs to Russia. Yeah, I understand Lenin made (laughs) made some mistakes when he drew the borders. Isn't that what he claims? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But take it up with Lenin and don't attack the other country. (laughs) Actually, that kind of attack, it doesn't hold water, but there are are several aspects to that. The president, Zelensky, is a Jewish-born person. 
that would be very weird from a Jewish person to be an outright Nazi and try to do something of, of that kind. So that is absolutely weird. But this madness was addressed by Zelensky himself. One of the other claims is that uh, NATO troops were advancing on, on Russia's border. And that was, by Deutsche Welle, uh, deemed as misleading. Not actually false, but misleading. Why? Because the Eastern European states that have joined the NATO since the breakup of the Soviet Union were, uh, yeah, some of them, four of them, border Russia. Okay, That means that Russia could interpret that as a bit of a threat to their security. And this is what Putin has been doing for a long time on his state media and all that. And there was a NATO-Russia founding act back in 1997 that does actually prohibit the additional deployment of permanent combat forces in the new countries. But that has been overcome by the fact that they are doing it in a, on a rotational basis. Like there are several battalions, combat groups in Poland and the Baltic states in constant rotation. And why the activity of that sort has been intensifying since 2014 was the annexation of Crimea. <laughs> so there was a reason for NATO to try to expand the area that they have kind of control over or they, they are capable of defending because of the fears that Russia could actually attack. Yeah, and he believes that the, the Article 51 of the UN Charter allows him to attack a country, but it's not actually a case, according to experts, because it would have to be a proper casus belli that he has, but as we established earlier, it doesn't exist. And uh, yeah, we've already talked about the genocide, the alleged genocide that is just not taking place. So none of the things that he uses as justification for the attacks actually hold water. So that's, and that is the starting point. And let's see what else do we have here. Yeah, so the an answer from European side of things, or more like the world side of things, to the Russian invasion was that a lot of media giants clamped down on Russian state-owned propaganda channels now. So, for example, YouTube decided to block RT and Sputnik across Europe following the European Commission's announcement that it will ban Kremlin's media machine in the EU. Mm -hmm. They said it will take time to completely restrict everything. Like they pretty much have to power up their machines, if you know what I mean. And Facebook also decided to restrict access to state-owned media outlets. Twitter halted ads uh, so that they can't create revenue anymore through that. And Facebook also took down a Ukrainian disinformation network site and decided to ban a Russian hacker media um, thing. So with that, Instagram also will go along with it because they're owned by Meta, both. <laughs> and they also want to secure accounts but not restrict access for Russian users. They said, although the Russian government is throttling these platforms, quoting Meta, and despite receiving a letter by the Ukrainian deputy prime minister, Mikhail Fyodorov, to block the access, they decided to keep the access open. Mm -hmm. They said 
it's important for Russians to have a way to express themselves and to access outside of Russian media. But they also said they do want to fight misinformation because something has to be done. But there was also a big controversy. So like people were discussing it, if, if it should be blocked or not. Blocking might not always be the best idea. It can be. But for example, the BBC said if UK blocks all of Russian media, then they think they will also be banned in Russia. So it's a big controversy. I can't give you the answer of uh, if that, if it's a good idea or not. I can just report to what they did. Yeah. Then, the, of course, it remains to be seen that they can do what they say they do. I mean, just yeah. go back to the last episode where we talked about meta and how they say something, they want to yeah. do something, and then... And it usually sounds very good. It sounds yeah. good, <laughs> but they then say. they do the complete yeah. the, uh, opposite in real... Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, some things where they said they want to secure profiles and stuff, I was like, why didn't they do that before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, shouldn't, yeah, that's shouldn't a good question. profiles always be secure? <laughs> But the way private companies clamp down on Putin is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Even Apple decided not to sell any of their products yes. in Russia. So you cannot access the Apple website in from Russia. And uh, I just read before we started recording that uh, Boeing, the aircraft manufacturer, decided to hold every kind of service that they provide to Russians. If you were worried by traveling Aeroflot before, you should be even more worried now because they don't have any spare parts. <laughs> well, you should not be traveling Aeroflot anyway because you cannot get anywhere at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> nobody allows. Right. Yeah, but you could go within Russia, Russian maybe. Plane. Yeah. <laughs> within Russia, which doesn't help. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. This uh, I, I can't emphasize enough how important this unification. Heck, even the Taliban. <laughs> asked for they didn't take sides but they asked for a peaceful resolution where civilians are not hurt wow what the fuck is going yeah. on the taliban it's like first oh orban does something reasonable and now the taliban is wanting peace like what's happening oh well well yeah <laughs> you know you've gone over the line if the taliban is telling you to tone it down a bit you're being too violent now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. But one thing is for sure, because of all this, if Putin's goal was to make it to history books, I think he will. Yep. I think he will. Because yeah. he was the first... Nobody has ever been able to unify the world this much. <laughs> so, uh, so you say he's getting the Nobel Peace Prize now? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But uh, I, I, I think it's quite an achievement. So we have to give him credit for that, at least. Yeah, part of the solution when you want to stop a bully is you have to start and reassure the person or needs of that person in order, in order to stop the bullying. So, yeah, why don't we start with that? Yeah, <laughs> you unify the world, man. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to have too much of an effect on him because uh, you know what he actually replied with to Facebook. What you hinted at, actually, Onika, mm -hmm. is that uh, he decided to restrict access to Facebook to protect Russian media, so, so, so to say. Obviously, Russian media is attacked by Facebook posts, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And his problem was that they failed to stop the independent fact-checking 
and <laughs> labeling of uh, their Russian state-owned media organizations, news outlets. So, uh, yeah, good job. So now no kind of misinformation can reach Russian audiences. Well, as you said, Andras, before, not all Russians buy the Putin narrative, even if there's a lot of them who do. I've seen mm-hmm. estimates that about 80% of all Russians still have the state-controlled official media news outlets as their primary source of news. And, uh, of course, they're filled with propaganda, so we know what they are looking yeah. at and seeing. And they say it all, of course, that Ukraine has a Nazi regime and uh, they are killing and harassing Russians in the country. And, of course, that's nonsense. We've already mentioned that. But some people do see through the propaganda. It seems to be mainly the younger population, the internet-savvy ones who knows how to access non-government controlled information. According to OVD Info, which is an independent Russian rights media project that uh, combats political persecution. Oh, is there such an organization? There is such okay. a, so, an organization. <laughs> I mean, still standing. <laughs> uh, they, they this, this morning, they still had their website up. Good. So good. according to them, thousands of people have been arrested in Russia for anti-war protests. And you mentioned 2,000 people, Andras, the latest uh, as of this recording, uh, which is the 2nd of March, The OVD Info website says it's 6,835 people who has been detained. Wow. And I'm sure the numbers are even higher than than that when you hear this. And of course, they may miss a few people. So uh, a lot of people are protesting. We will include a link to this website in the show notes. And um, even if it is in Russian, uh, the, the Google Translate works well enough on it. The number of people detained is constantly being updated. And that's only the number of people that are detained. We must assume that there are a number of protesters that get away with it and that the number of protesters are much bigger than that. And because the risks are so high, the the protesters have developed this strategy of uh, gathering and dispersing very quickly and unannounced to avoid getting arrested. So they go out and they make a what seems to be a spontaneous demonstration, and then they disband after just maybe 10 or 15 minutes before the police has time to get to them. So that's good. They are heroes. I, it's, it's, like, it's like slapping someone from behind and then run away. Yeah, yeah. And or pretending like, that somebody else did it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't me. <laughs> uh, right, but but I mean we were laughing, but it's, that's how you have to it's do serious it. Serious stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is serious. Yeah. But I'm yeah happy to hear that there are people who are courageous enough to do it. Mm. Oh my god, uh, we uh, yeah the world should find a way to give them better tools to to put the word out. Yeah, mm. it's like I know that in the Arab Spring it was Twitter mm-hmm. that did that, but. The Russian regime is just very good at blocking things. Yeah, and using hackers uh, yeah, exactly. for their own purposes. So they're not as easy as to hack. However, Anonymous really yeah. come down on them um, That's for, true. for a That's couple true. of days. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is. But I'm not sure I'm absolutely comfortable with that because that is too much power as well. But that's a completely different topic. Yeah. Completely different is also that the chief prosecutor of the Czech Republic warns against public support for Russian aggression in the Czech Republic. And mm. I think we all think of what about free speech now? <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> yeah. 
So, interestingly enough, people in Germany have been fired for not distancing themselves from Putin enough. Like the Russian musical conductor and leader of the uh, Munich Philharmonics, Valery Gerichev. Probably butchered that name. And Our listeners can help you out with that. Definitely, yes. That that's, of course, still different to not being allowed to say what you feel. But he also said that you can say what you feel to respect freedom of speech, but to not exceed its limit, whatever that means. Igor Street, who is the chief prosecutor, he warned against public support of the Russian aggression and saying that expressing support on demonstrations or on social networks can be considered a criminal offense in the Czech Republic right now. And legal assessment would monitor in the cyberspace and outside, so in, in the real world. The legal assessment, as he also said himself, would be complicated, though. Because it's, mm-hmm. as I mentioned in the beginning, is it still free speech or is it already a criminal offense? And that's very hard to determine, I guess. Yeah. But that's, that's, a, that's a long topic. But the thing is that people forget or seem to forget is we cannot have absolutely free speech. There's yeah. always obvious lies that hurt others mm. yeah. cannot be considered free yeah. speech. You, yeah, or, there there has to be a limit. Or uh, just being like super nasty and insulting. Yeah, I wouldn't care that much about being insulting. It's just not nice. It's being a dick if you're insulting people. But hurting people through spreading misinformation, that's a different thing. Yeah, mm. I, I think I didn't mean like someone saying, oh, you're a dick you're or whatever. You're an idiot, you're, you're I ugly. I didn't mean that kind of insult. <laughs> I mean meant like, for example, anti-Semitic hate speech. That's what I meant yeah, with that's, an insult. Yeah, but that's much more than insult. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I didn't it's, it's, use it's the right much, term there. It goes much further than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, there, there is a, there's yeah. a limit to free there speech. There are limits, exactly. And it has to be. Has to yeah. Be. Like all freedoms, everyone's freedom lasts until someone else is, is being halted by it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... But we also must remember that even if we all know who the aggressor is in this war, fake news is not only coming from Russia. To be clear, I mean, we firmly stand, and it's clear by now in this episode, if nothing else, that we stand by Ukraine and Putin's behavior is a crime against humanity, this war is. But still, it is important to acknowledge that all news coming from this war needs to be critically analyzed and Mm -hmm. investigated. Fullfact.org shows one example of this when they looked into a Ukrainian video that is circulating on the internet. And they found that out of the five clips in that video, three did not show Russia invading Ukraine at all. And the other two could not really be verified. So the first clip was probably genuine, they say, although it wasn't possible to prove it. The second clip was uh, actually a clip from the city of Taijin in China, and it was filmed in 2015. The third could not be verified one way or the other, and the fourth was at least from 29th of January, so it must have been showing something else than the invasion of Ukraine. The fifth one was perhaps the most interesting, to me at least, because it wasn't the real film at all. It has been confirmed now that that is a clip from a video game called War Thunder, and it is computer-generated and not the real video at all. So, (laughs) 
All of this is, of course, not to take sides against Ukraine. Uh, that's not what we're doing here. But we have to remember that one needs to check everything before one shares a post. Because it doesn't help to spread misinformation, no matter how well-meaning you are. Even if you sympathize with the side who is sharing something, the information can still be false. And that doesn't help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are other things that are not really helpful. And that is to have a radioactive fallout site on a war zone. And you probably no, already guess what I'm help. talking about, and that's Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. Because apparently the Chernobyl radiation levels increased significantly, about 20-fold, after fighting around the, the area. I'm talking, of course, about the nuclear power plant Chernobyl that blew up in a disaster in 1986. And, well... Radiation levels have increased 20-fold after heavy fighting in and, and, and around the area. And that was the gamma radiation. So just for anyone who knows what that is, um, that, that one um, went up. That was on last Friday, February 25th. They think that it was from radioactive dust thrown up by movement of heavy military equipment in the area. And also hitting things that like clothes, radioactive clothes and stuff. Of course, that leads to bigger fears and bigger anxieties because there could be artillery shots that hit the sarcophagus or that pierce the protection around Chernobyl and the active site. Chernobyl is occupied or has been occupied by Russian soldiers since February 24th and the evening that is because the invasion started the morning of the 24th. And the workers have been taken hostage, according to the military expert Anna Kovalenko. And that, of course, in itself is also a security threat, because a lot of Chernobyl is still cooled down by a system, because fallout and decaying radioactive stuff creates heat, and it still needs to be cooled. And if you don't have the workers to maintain the system difficult, especially because Chernobyl is only 97 kilometers north of Kiev. That's pretty concerning. It seems to be that a major nuclear disaster here is unlikely. It could have been seized as a possible blackmail tactic. But what can be called more concerning is actually that there are fights close to Ukraine's four working nuclear reactors. But let's just think about like if the blackmail issue comes true, What would happen then? An artillery strike could lead to radioactive dust covering Ukraine, but also Belarus and several other EU countries. But it seems to be that to mobilize this material seems to be harder. Most dangerous are actually wet parts that can be thrust into the atmosphere or losing the cooling of the still heat generating parts But because they already decayed for a few decades, the doses might not be that dangerous to human health, depending on where they hit. So it's definitely not nice. It's definitely a threat and a hazard. And it's definitely concerning that the levels increase so much. But so far, we can only say it might not be as bad as we think, but it can also be way worse than we think. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that these the, the relative number 20 times 
yeah. higher is sort of not saying so much because exactly. if, if it's from a yeah. very, very low level... It was from a very, very low... It, it doesn't really yeah. matter so much, but if exactly. it's from an already dangerous level, then of course it's a yeah. lot. It so, was from a very, very low... Like I saw a, a graph and it was yeah. from a very, very low thing to 20 times higher. Yeah, I, I think the bigger risk is that somebody decides or by mistake bombs the area, bombs the actual reactors. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So could be that his idea, but that, that this is just speculation. I haven't read anything like this. Don't uh, give him ideas, Anders. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that uh, experts have thought of this as well. Hmm. It's not that he wants to nuke the other nations like crazy, but if he really wants to damage Ukraine, he might be thinking of attacking those nuclear reactors and that would be terrible could be on the other hand he wants ukraine for himself yeah. so that hopefully holds that's right. like i think it would be a last resort to, to yeah but go to that. but we're talking about a crazy person and we're talking about a guy who is as i mentioned is like a bully at school so if you don't allow me to play with that toy then i'm going to destroy the toy so that you cannot play with it either Puff. We're talking about this kind of mentality. <laughs> Something trivia to that that I would like to contribute is that a pharmacist trend of mine said that people in Germany are buying iodine pills like mm. crazy right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, happening all over Europe, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. Okay, more misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the, that's the theme of this episode. You may have heard of the ghost of Kiev. Yes, mm -hmm. it is allegedly a uh, allegedly a hero of the Ukraine Air Force, a pilot that single-handedly took down six Russian fighter jets only on the first few days of the conflict. Unfortunately, even if there is such a person, no such hero has been verified to exist. At least not um, as of this recording. I should add, may new information may come forward. The German news site Deutsche Welle, which we've already mentioned, has looked into the information that is spread about the ghost of Kiev. And there's one clip, a video clip, allegedly showing how a Ukraine plane shoots down a Russian plane and then does a victory roll of celebration. And it turns out, again, to be from a video game. Uh, no. This video game is called Digital Combat Simulator World, and it has been confirmed by the game manufacturer that this clip is from their game. There are also portraits and photographs of this ghost, quote-unquote, who has been given a name as well by some sources. He's supposed to be called Vladimir Abdonov, but they have all turned out to be either photoshopped pictures or being taken out of context. Even so, the Ukraine Ministry of Defense have alluded to the existence of this ghost of Kiev, but as I said, if that person exists, no such info has been verified yet. So, unfortunately, we would all want there to be heroes. And perhaps they need heroes in... Well, I know they need heroes in, in Ukraine, but you shouldn't really make them up. Huh. Yeah. Well, there was aviation-related um, piece of news that at first was believed to be fake. But then it was announced by Ukrainian authorities 
that the largest ever plane built and controlled and and hosted by an airport next to Kiev, the Antonov AN-225 Mria. I don't know if you, you that sounds familiar to you. Mm. I meant to order one off on the internet, but I understand <laughs> they are out of supplies now. Oh uh, yeah, well, massively. There was only one working <laughs> specimen of that airplane, and I think there was one that was unfinished or something, but uh, that there was one operational only. I know a couple of people, some of them skeptics, Gabor Oshkopia, uh, for example, who used to be a very, very big fan of this uh, of this plane. Uh, but I, I think I've always seen it with admiration as well. Mm. So it's now confirmed that it's been destroyed. Even the Wikipedia article refers to it in past tense. Unfortunately, wow. Wow. it was uh, Ukraine's foreign minister, Dimitro Kuleba, who, who tweeted about that. So this is why it's considered confirmed. And obviously, because of uh, the area being heavily fought over with the Russians, it was foreseeable. He also said that Russia may have destroyed Amria, but they will never be able to destroy our dream of a strong, free and democratic European state we shall prevail. Hmm. <laughs> and then later, he also said that after a while, they will rebuild the plane and the costs will be invoiced to Russia because they, they <laughs> really want that. Com- completely <laughs> destroying the thing. But yeah. it was massive and it was amazing. It was 83 meters long. It could transport up to 250 tons of cargo. It was originally built to carry the Buran system. You know the Buran system, right? Uh, It was the Soviet Union's reply to the space shuttle system. It was basically the same thing, but only it it was unmanned. It was completely remote controlled and it was completely unsuccessful as a project. (laughs) But they, they originally built it in Ukraine. So that's why it was parked in the Ukraine in the Antonov factory to carry that. And um, now it's gone. All right. Well, I know I understand that it's um, nothing compared to how many lives have been lost but it's symbolic it's sim- it's and this is why it's probably uh Ukraine's foreign minister thought it was important to make the announcement as well yeah all right but speaking of failed flights as we know one thing that russia has done over the years is that despite the cold war and everything else that's been going on they have always collaborated very well with the outside world regarding space exploration Hmm. Mm -hmm. but now one such effort have been cut or at least postponed indefinitely and uh, and it's not because of bad will but because that the war makes it impossible or very hard and i'm talking about the rosalind franklin mars rover which is a collaboration between ESA, the European Space Agency, and Russia. The mission is called ExoMars, and it has been prepared for years, including a somewhat failed launch back in 2016, when Roscosmos and ESA sent a first spacecraft to Mars to test things. It managed to get into orbit around Mars uh, as scheduled, but then due to a computer glitch, somebody who programmed the computer a little bit wrongly, the lander crashed on the surface. But nevertheless, the next step, which was to send the actual Franklin Rosalind rover, uh, was supposed to happen this year. And uh, the rover itself has been constructed and built by ESA, but the lander and the launch rocket 
are Russian. But due to the war and the sanctions implemented against Russia, ESA announced that the whole thing is now off, or at least put on hold, and will not happen this year. The, the Rosalind Franklin rover is a very, it's a very cool mission. It's designed to drill into the Mars surface and look for signs of life. But um, so, well, again, as you said, Andras, this is not human lives. So that way it's not as bad. But in addition to the human tragedy of this war, science will also suffer. You know what it makes me think of? The Russian astronauts up in the ISS. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. How they must feel. And those astronauts, I'm pretty sure about that. Just like the Russian scientists and intellectuals who have been making calls for peace. Because there's a, there's a lot yes. of that going on. And I'm absolutely 100% sure that those Russian astronauts, Anton Shklaperov and Pyotr Dubrov, who are now in space, Pyotr Dubrov, have been up there for almost a year. <laughs> absolutely amazing. They must feel ashamed of what's going on. They are used to collaborating with these people on an everyday level with putting aside every cultural difference, every political ideology, and it's probably not very easy. But uh, there is another project, actually, uh, OneWeb. The UK's satellites, uh, there is a set of satellites that are supposed to be launched by Russian Soyuz rocket. And Russia decided to cancel it, the whole thing, unless OneWeb can give them guarantees that they will not be used for military purposes. I thought you were going to say that they they demanded to be paid in bitcoins now. Bitcoins? <laughs> no. <laughs> the rubles are not worth a lot. That would, be, would have made a lot of sense because rubles, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, terrible things going on and somehow it should be ended. We as skeptics around the world and across Europe, we have a lot of responsibility in making sure that the information that gets out there is fact-checked, is challenged if turns out not to be true. I think there is an ever-growing need for skeptical activism and a skeptical attitude and approach. But that um, basically brings us to something that might sound silly at the moment, to ask a question, <laughs> who's been really wrong lately? Because we all have a very good idea of that, I think. <laughs> well, yes, as you say, Andra, sometimes some weeks this segment writes itself so fake news and disinformation come through us from all direction at the moment but of course mostly from russia and of course we have it from putin's own political scientist and supporter a guy well he has a lot of supporters there but this is a guy called sergey markov he is in the duma so he has a seat in the duma very high up and he said in an interview lately a couple of days ago that quote and i will do this in a russian accent i'm sorry if i offend any <laughs> nice russians but it has to be said in a russian accent vladimir putin never lie when he may use military disinformation of enemies of russia it is not lie it is ultra super truth end quote <laughs> so that that's <laughs> Good job. Good job. <laughs> That's how it is. By the way, that quote was sent to me by one of our biggest fans, my mum, 
Hedy Böckman. So big shout out to her for, for that. Yes. Bless her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the lies that we, we... We've mentioned a lot of lies and uh, misinformation. One other that we haven't mentioned, I think, in this uh, episode is that there were supposed to be American so-called biolabs, quote-unquote, in Ukraine. Ooh, and that favorite. has been used as, as a way to le- legitimize uh, the attack on Ukraine. It's been suggested that they may be there to prepare the next pandemic, maybe just as conspiracy theorists have been suggesting that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic was prepared in China. Bollocks, of course. Yeah, this idea is being spread by our most prominent anti-vax idiot in the country. I've told you about him, the pharmacist guy who yeah. tells everyone not to vaccinate because it's all a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I won't go into the details. Snopes has done a great job in debunking this, and I will include the mm-hmm. link in the show notes so you can look at that. Another good source to look for this information and how it's been debunked is the site The Conversation. They are very good at getting facts straightened out. They have an article about how Russia spent a long time carefully building up the narrative of a made-up conflict just to be able to justify the coming attack. And this includes not just this information, but also carrying out false flag operations in the parts of Ukraine that was occupied by Russia in connection with the Crimean annexation. Those fake attacks have been used to justify the later war, together with the propaganda about the terrible conditions in eastern Ukraine and so-called, quote, persecution of Russians in Ukraine, end quote. Anyway, you should go to the conversation and read all about it. It's a good overview of what has happened. Because of all of this, and totally unavoidably, Russia and Vladimir Putin in particular get today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. I think the most deserved so far, probably. Yeah, do you think this is this is was the reason why many politicians around the world didn't take the situation and the gravity of the situation seriously enough? I mean, it looks like the world has just woken up. I think it was maybe also like never tickle a sleeping dragon in a way. Or a bear in this case. Or a bear. Yeah. Up there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think politicians have been very and maybe overly cautious to make him angry. And uh, now we are what we are. But there's one Mm. more thing that I, it's not really part of the really wrong, but I want to point it out before we go. And uh, today's episode has been a lot about disinformation and fake news and propaganda. And this is, of course, things we need to stand up against and always use our critical thinking to see through. But there's another thing, and that is we should always remember that quote from Richard Feynman. Quote, The first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. End quote. And why I put that in here is that it has a lot to do with wishful thinking. And I see a lot of that in the media right now, in the Western media, especially this statement or variations of this statement and saying, this is the beginning of the end of Putin. I have lost count of how many times I've seen this over the last week. And uh, I don't know if it will be the end of Putin, but I doubt he will disappear anytime soon. 
but we want it to be true so we tend to believe it and we read those articles extra special careful because it gives us comfort saying that this is now the beginning of the end of Putin we want it to be true so we tend to believe it also of course we hope that Ukraine would somehow defeat the Russians that is unfortunately very unlikely in my opinion But again, we want it to be true. So we cling to any indication that Ukraine is doing well and that it's it's all going to end all right. So I don't want to be a party pooper, but please remember to use your critical thinking also when it comes to good news and to news that you really want to be true. Oh, yeah. What I also want to add to that is, especially in these times with like a pandemic, a threat of a war, everything going on, please keep your brain as healthy as possible, like mentally. You don't have to listen to the news 24-7. Nobody is being helped by you being absolutely anxious. Everyone has to take care of themselves too and of their own mental health. Yeah, it's a balance, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so um, I think that brings us to basically the end of the show. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that we will talk a lot in the coming weeks and months about this situation, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And now I'd like to ask our listeners to consider Mm. donating to several organizations. And I approached a couple of people who I know and who have been helping out refugees coming from Ukraine to Hungary. And I asked their opinion on which organization they believe would be the best choice to support. So instead of asking support for ourselves, this time I would like everyone to make a donation to one or several of the following organizations. Obviously, there are a couple that we all know. For example, there is the UN Crisis Relief, Mm. and they have created a Ukraine humanitarian fund. It goes directly to what they spend on helping out Ukrainian people. We will provide you with the links uh, on the show notes, actually. There is one that is called Razon, and uh, those people are doing a lot at the moment. They help volunteers work with the best equipment they can, and they provide food and shelter, and a lot of documents are being used so that they provide even uh, legal help to some of the people. So if that is something that you would think you would uh, like to support that's a good idea and you could become a patron or a gofundme supporter of the kiev independent which is very important i think we all agree uh Mm -hmm. we just mentioned how important it is to have proper media coverage of things and that has to be independent media and independent media needs your support to be able to operate so the kiev independent is among the ones that i recommend obviously there is unicef because now it's a terrible humanitarian catastrophe for children as well many children are losing their homes they have to go abroad with their parents or they lose their parents which is even worse than all the other things that i just said so unicef is dedicated to help them as uh, much as possible and if i may i will also 
mention a Hungarian organization, Migration Aid, which started operating when the 2015 refugee crisis hit the country. And uh, they did an amazing job. And there is no better indicator of that than the fact that they have been attacked by the Hungarian government several times. <laughs> so uh, then they must have done a good very good job at helping, yeah. <laughs> actually helping people. Yeah, links to all the five of them will be on the show notes. So please check out our website and make, an, even if it's a small donation, you can do something about this. With that, yes, I would like to ask you, Annika, to finish with a quote. Yes. And I had three in my choice. First, I just thought about a very concise make love and war. <laughs> then I thought about Russian warship, go fuck yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both would, would have been okay, but I decided to settle on the more distinguished quote by Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. And the quote <laughs> is... What experience and history teaches us is that people and governments have never learned anything from history or acted on principles deduced from it. Ooh, that's very dark. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but it's true. pretty true. So Yeah, good quote. It would be interesting to discuss at some point whether it's because... So the reason why we don't learn from history is because we don't learn enough history or we don't understand what we learn. Uh, I don't know. Not necessarily exclusive. It could be both. Yeah. Or it's a, oh, no, that can't happen again. They won't be that dense. But that's just wishful thinking. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, I don't really don't know how to end this show. I have one thing I could do say. That, it's also sort of a quote. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I butcher this, but I'll do my best. I've been practicing all afternoon. Cheche nevmerla ukrainas. This apparently is the first line of the Ukraine national anthem, and it translates to English as Ukraine is not dead yet. Hmm. And we'll try to keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it's still yes. the case when this episode comes out in two days. Exactly. Yeah. And let's all do our part in making that happen. If there are, there are any Ukrainian listeners of us out there, we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Yes. If you're in a situation that you can still listen to our show, you can still have access to it. We would love to hear what you think, how you feel. Even if it's an email, you can send us a message, an audio message as well. Or uh, you're more than welcome to come and be with us for an interview. Yeah. To all Ukrainians out there, be strong and never give up. And we are all with you even if it's just in spirit and with whatever we can help with. Take care. Yes, take care and we're all there for you. Yeah, take care. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Шачен в Марла Юкрейнас